At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Coming up on episode 314 of Wheel Bearings, we got the BMW Z4, the Hyundai Ionic 6, refreshes for the Hyundai's gas sedans. Mercedes is about to open up its first DC fast charging stations with a surprise. The uh, Ram TRX is not long for this world. Neither is the manual transmission in the VW Golf GTI or Golf R. And Alfa Romeo produces a new, its last internal combustion supercar. All that and more coming up next. This is episode 314 of Wheel Bearings. I'm Sam Abul Salmon from Guidehouse Insights. And I am Nicole Wakeman from the Road Reflective Podcast. And Robbie is, let's see, he is in uh, Georgia right now uh, with Bridgestone, driving some fun cars on some of Bridgestone's latest really cool tires. Uh, so <laughs> I've seen some of the pictures people have put up. It looks like it's a pretty cool event. He's probably yeah, having a good I saw time. Some, saw some NSXs and stuff in there. Yeah. Which, uh, pretty nice. It looks and, pretty cool. Yeah, we're, we're actually recording a little early this week because... We usually record on Sunday mornings, and on Sunday morning, let's see, uh, well, at the time we usually record, I will probably be sleeping sleeping <laughs> off an overnight flight from Detroit to Munich. Yes. Uh, so I'll, hopefully we'll be laying in bed in, in a hotel room in Munich. Sound asleep in Germany. Yeah. So uh, so let's begin. Uh, yes. What, what did you drive? So I had a fun car. It's the end of summer, like, oh, summer's leaving and convertible weather is, is you know, going to disappear very quickly in New England. But I got one and I had fun with it. I had a BMW Z4, which I've got to say, I have always loved this car. You know, you have some cars like, you know, you have the picture of the car in your bedroom wall. I didn't have a picture of this in my bedroom wall, but I have always loved this for no discernible reason other than that I just love it. I think it looks good. I just always wanted one. So to have one end up in my driveway, I'm so ridiculously <laughs> excited. I was really, really happy. Um, and it's been perfect weather. We actually had some breaks in the rain, so I got to actually drive it. Of course, the the uh, Murphy's Law part of it was, this was also the week that I had it. I had uh, both my daughters home from college. So there were four of us. And this and car so only seats. You girls are on your own. Yeah, I'm going exactly. out to play. <laughs> right, my that my daughter has inherited my mother's 2016 Kia Rio. I'm like, you enjoy that Rio, girl. Dad and I are taking the BMW. See ya. <laughs> so um, yeah, so I have the BMW Z4, which is 
It's just super fun. And you know what's kind of neat? It's like, it's, like I said, it's a two-seater. But if you get into, I don't know, like a Miata, Russ is 6'3". He hates it. Like, he likes the Miata, but it's too tiny for him. Mm-hmm. He His knees hit the, you know, the, the center console and the door, and he feels like the roof is, like, right there in his head. This is, feels, the layout of it, it just, it's easier. It's more spacious. It's more... Like you could cruise in this one and not feel quite so confined. I love the Miata, and I know you're a Miata driver, Sam. No, no, no hate for the Miata. I love it. But this is just this is easier if you're looking for like a two seater that you know has a little bit more room. This does a little comfier. Yeah, also you're you're absolutely right. I mean, like I am like towards the upper limit of you know I'm like five ten, five eleven, depending on the time of day you measure me. (laughs) uh, You know. I am kind of at the upper limit of height, you know, people that will comfortably fit in a Miata. And right. I, I totally understand because, I, like, for example, you know, in a Miata RF, uh, you know, if I'm at a track day with a helmet on, I, you know, I can't, I can't fit right? with the, with the top closed. Yeah. You know, so I, I totally understand. And, you know, they're, they're, it's absolutely legitimate to have other options, you know, that are sized right for people of different sizes. Yeah. And this is more, this is better if you're taller, Mm -hmm. uh, has a little bit more room. Um, I do like that. It actually also has a decent, like it, because there's no back seat, there really is no room for stuff, but it does have between the two seats, a little square. It's like a little square, a little square. It makes me think of a dog door, but there's no, I mean, I guess your dog could crawl through it, but it's like the size of a dog (laughs) door and it opens up and it's a little pod where you can put whatever, like you could fit your wallet. And a couple of things in there, very small amount of stuff. But if you don't have to worry about like some loose paper or whatever flying out of the car when you're driving with the top down, it's just enough room to hold. I liked it. It was a nice little, a nice little pod back there for your wallet and maybe like a small purse. So it's kind of neat that it had that. But mostly this is just, it's fun. Like I, There's no practical reason to buy this. Like there's no practical reason to buy a Miata. You buy a two seater, a little roadster like because this. Because you want it. You just want it and it makes you happy. And does there have to be logic? No. Does it make you happy? Yes. Buy it. That's kind of what I feel like this kind of car is, Sam. And this would make me happy. And it had, I'm just a sucker for bright red accents in a car. And it had this like cherry red interior. It was gorgeous. It was so pretty. You flip the top down, bright red interior. It's just kind of sort of fall is thinking about happening. So there's a slight little tiny bit of chill in the air in the mornings. It was brilliant. It was so much fun to drive this. Um, and it's not something, it's got a two liter turbocharged four cylinder, I think 255 horsepower if I'm looking at my notes right. So it doesn't have like this outrageous amount of horsepower. It's not like this sports car that's out of control and it's all about the power and but it still has more than enough. You know, it drives nicely. It has a really nice eight-speed automatic. So the shifts are nice and smooth and they manage that power really well. You mash that gas pedal, you're going to go. Sounds fantastic. It is everything you want, like just in a fun, comfortable, like premium roadster. I it just, I, I have, I really don't have complaints about it. Um, I like that there's a 10.3 inch entertainment touchscreen. It's easy to use. It's nice and clear. The soft top closes in, in something like, I think it's like 10 seconds and you can do it at speeds. I want to say up to 20 something, maybe 30 miles an hour. So it does it fast enough that if it's suddenly you're thinking like, oh, it's getting a little sketchy. It's going to rain or you're a little cold. You stop at a stoplight and the time you're at a stoplight, you can completely close it up, which is nice. Um, I, I just like it. And it starts at 
Uh, I mean, it's not is is not cheap. It's, it's a BMW. Who, who, it's BMW, right? You shouldn't expect a BMW to be cheap. Correct. Exactly. So fifty four thousand, which although not cheap, is also not like ninety. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Fifty four. That's like I know it's still luxury car territory, and not even remotely implying <laughs> that it's affordable. It's not, but it's still for a luxury car. It is. Like that's a reasonable price tag. And I like, okay, so the kidney grills on these BMWs of late have gotten so big that they're, it's a love it or hate it proposition. You either think they look fine or you think they're these obnoxious giant things coming at you. Which side do you fall on, Sam, generally Uh, speaking? I'm definitely on on the obnoxious side. Yeah, see, me too. But on this, the design of it, it's smaller. So on here, it's still a new, you can see it's a new grill. It's the current design, you know, to the front of this BMW, but it's not like in your face. Like it's nice. I actually like everything. I love this car. I love it. It made me happy. I didn't want to give it back. I was sad to give it back. I was sad that I only had it for a week and, um, yeah, I loved it. I w- I'm a huge fan of this. Um, it's, it's a happy place car for me. If I was going to buy a convertible living in new England, this would very likely be it. And, and I think I mentioned last week when I talked about the Supra that, you know, the, the Supra and the current Gen Z4 were joint development program between BMW and Toyota. Mm-hmm. Um, so they share the same chassis, the same platform, same engines, um, a lot of the same interior components. I mean, like mm-hmm. I said, you know, in the, in the Supra, you know, unlike other Toyotas, you know, it it has the iDrive controller and everything, just like just like a Z4. Um, the difference being that the Supra is only available as a hard top, and the BMW is only available as a soft top. Yeah. Uh, so you know, to your comment about you know the the four cylinder, you know, having enough power. You know, if you want more power, you can get it with that same inline six turbo that was in the Supra. Right. Um, although I don't think you can get the BMW with a manual transmission. I think that's only in the Supra. I'm pretty sure you're right. I think it's just an automatic in the BMW, which is a drawback if you like driving a manual. Like, I feel like though, yeah, it's nothing, you know, driving a manual is driving a manual. Nothing's really going to replace it. But the better the automatic, the less you feel that loss, you know? And I feel like because this automatic, this eight speed is really, really nice. It's smooth. It does a great job of like waiting to shift until it's like, okay, it's that, this is the sweet spot to make the best use of that power. And they're very smooth. So it's, yeah, it's, it's not a manual, but it's still, it's a really good automatic. So you're not super sad that you can't drive a manual transmission. Yeah. And you know, if like me, you know, you find the Supra to be a little too (laughs) enclosed, uh, you know, visibility is kind of limited. You know, having that top that you can just pop it down is is nice. You know, yeah. that's that's a nice alternative. Um, I'm I'm curious. You said you've always liked the Z4. So have, yeah. have you have you felt that way about all three generations of the Z4? Because this is the third. Gen. Yeah, I. You know what? Even when it first, like I've always liked it, and I know it's changed a good bit over the mm-hmm. years, design wise. I've always liked the look of it, no matter what year, like when it's that time and I've been looking at it and it was new, I was like, oh God, I love how it looks. Next generation, oh God, I love how it looks. Like I've always, something about this car has consistently appealed to me. We had a friend who had one and he moved, he loved cars and he had one, it was bright red and I was trying to meet up with him because he was in town and and our timing didn't work and I was so sad because he was going to take me for a ride in this car. And then he moved 
to Europe and he had to leave the car behind. He sold the car. And I think he was really excited for the relocation to the UK, except for the fact he had to give up his C4 because they didn't have, it just didn't work in their new lifestyle. And there's, this is like 10, feels like it was a little while ago, maybe not 10 years ago, but close. But he, that was the saddest part. I was like, do you miss everybody? I miss my car. I'm like, well, okay, I can get that. <laughs> well, you know what? You can get a Z4 in the UK. He could, but I think it was that he didn't, where they were living, they had a tiny little flat and oh, they had nowhere man. to park it. And he was close enough to his job that he could like ride a bike or something. There was something about it just not working. New lifestyle, new place, car's not going to work in it. So he he gave up the Z4. That would have been like, forget it, honey. You relocate. I'm staying here and keeping my car. <laughs> I have a neighbor around the corner that has a first-gen Z4. The, okay. The one with the what they called the flame surfacing. Yes. Yeah, you know, it was still kind of the, the Chris Bangle design era. And, um, you know, a lot of people didn't like that one. They didn't – they weren't fond of the transition. You know, originally there was the Z3, and then they replaced that with the Z4. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we've had three generations of Z4, and a lot of people didn't like the that first gen Z4. Thought it was a little little much. I I actually do like it. I, I, I like it. I'm looking. Like I pulled it. up pictures as you're talking. I'm like, no, liked it. Still like it. I'm looking at it, and now it's like old. You know, yeah. it's like old, sort of dated design. Now when you look back, still like it. Still yeah. love it. Look at how cute See, that little car is. Yeah. You know, speaking of convertibles, that Russ. Can't, that's your husband can't fit yes. into. Um, <laughs> uh, had, I, I would love to see Russ try and get into a Honda Beat. Oh gosh, <laughs> no! <laughs> that would be a video. It's like, will my husband have to contort himself into a pretzel? <laughs> well, you know, if, if if you ever bring Russ to Michigan, let yes. me know, and we'll we'll have to shoot that video because my my friend and colleague Mike Austin, he has yeah. a Beat. I'm looking at the size of this, and I know the car. I just pulled up to look at it, like. Good. How it's, do it I is, fit in? It is How am tiny. I going to sit in a Honda Beat? I don't know that I can fit in that it, car. It is, a, it is a very, very small car. Can you sit? Can you fit in that? Uh, I have not actually tried to sit in it. Uh, but when you when you look at the the cabin, it, it's actually surprisingly roomy. I mean, it's it's classic, you know, Honda packaging. It's right. You know, it feels like it's bigger on the inside. Um, it's and, like the TARDIS. Yeah, and so <laughs> I, you know, I, I I'm pretty sure I could fit into it, but I think. Russ, it might be a challenge for Russ. Well, if we end up in Michigan, I'll just be like, okay, Sam, now should probably break out your camera. Here we go. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and for those not familiar with the beat, I'll put a, a link in the uh, in the show notes. It's um, a little um, 660cc uh, mid-engine Roadster con- convertible built by Honda between uh, 1991 and 1996. It was a, a you know a so-called K-class car in Japan. So it's only, you know, or 656 cc's, um, <laughs> 660 horsepower, 660, 66 horsepower. I was like, excuse me? <laughs> 66 horsepower. It wishes it had that much. <laughs> uh, but, you know, it is really light. The curb weight is, only, is less than 1,700 pounds. So in this one picture I pulled up, it's sitting like on a lawn at some show, and right next to it is a Volkswagen Bug, and the Bug looks big. Like, yeah. That's how oh, yeah. small this car is. It, it is a very, very small car. Yeah, it is tiny. Okay, I'll make it. If we go to, if we end up in Michigan, deal. We'll see if Russ can even get into this. Okay. <laughs> he doesn't know what he's in for. I'm like, come on, honey, we're doing some work stuff. What? <laughs> At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward with each new idea, innovation 
and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Did you know you can support Wheelbearings directly? Head to patreon.com slash wheelbearingsmedia and you can become a patron today. Your contributions will help fund the platforms and tools we use to bring the podcast to you. And exclusives and improvements are already on the way thanks to your generosity. So if you want to be part of an automotive podcast like no other, head to patreon.com slash wheelbearingsmedia. All right. Um, So I had something very different from the Z4. I had the Hyundai Ioniq 6 Limited all-wheel drive. And... I really like this car. Yeah. I liked it when I, I they did a regional drive program here uh, in, in southeast Michigan back in the spring and had a chance to spend a few hours with it. And now I've had a chance to spend a week with it. And I still really like it. They, the, only, the only issue, there's two, only two issues I have with it. Uh, one, the trunk is kind of small. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, you know, with the shape of it, you know, the streamliner shape, the very sloped back, you know, the trunk is only 11 cubic feet. Um, but, you know, that was enough for me to stick a paddleboard and a couple of uh, um, little fold-up beach chairs uh, in the trunk and, you know, along with some other stuff. And last week, my, I took an afternoon off and uh, my wife and I went out to the lake and, and just nice. hung out for a few hours. Yeah. Um, so it was big enough for that. Um you know, if you're going to be doing a road trip with it, it's probably, you know, especially, you know, if you're taking the whole family, you know, if you got a couple of kids, if you're taking multiple bags, it might be a challenge in there, um, which is a shame because, you know, this thing, you know, is very efficient, got really good range, uh, but it's just not a lot of trunk space. And I would have liked to have seen BMW or BMW, Hyundai <laughs> go the, the route that um, Mercedes went like with the EQS um, where it's a hatchback, you know, so you get mm-hmm. that, that sloped, you know, kind of coupe like profile to it, just make it a hatchback, you know, so you can have a, a larger opening there, put more stuff in the back. Um, they didn't do that. Um, so there's that. <clears throat> and then the, the door handles. So on the limited, you get the, power operating door handles, which as you approach the car with the key fob on you, they're supposed to pop out. And they do sometimes, but not all the time. <laughs> when they feel like it. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, if you, I found, 
you know, there, there's also a little indent on there, like they have on, you know, on all the Hyundai vehicles. Every, every automaker for their, their keyless entry systems has something, some kind of indicator on the door handle where you're supposed to touch, you know, to to unlock it or lock mm-hmm. it. Um, and on the Hyundai's, there's a little square indent on the door handle. And, you know, if you put your finger on that, you know, it's usually it's supposed to pop open. And again, does it sometimes, not other times. So I found that more often than I wanted to, you know, I had to actually reach into my pocket, pull out the fob and press the unlock button to get into the mm-hmm. car. That, those two things are like the, the, that's it for my complaints about the car. Which are small complaints, valid, yeah. but tiny ones. Yeah. Which yeah. tells you how good the car is. Yeah. I mean, this, this car drives fantastic. It's, um, it's really quiet on the highway. Um, and, you know, very, you know, very little road noise, almost no wind noise coming in. Um, you know, it's comfortable. The back seat is really, really roomy. Um, the, uh, you know, the front seats are comfortable, uh, to sit in, uh, supportive. It, you know, it drives really well The you know, it's got decent steering feedback. Um, it is, it is just a really fun car to drive. And with the all wheel drive, You've got 320 horsepower, uh, you know. So this is this is a, a quick beast. You know, it'll go zero to sixty in about around about four seconds or so, uh, and it uh, you know it is very efficient. Um, you know, I I did I did more than usual a higher proportion higher proportion of highway driving um, with this than with city driving, um, you know, and driving at 75 80 miles an hour. It's still, you know, it averaged 3.5 miles per kilowatt hour. Um, overall range, uh, you know, I didn't run it all the way down to zero, but um, it, it would have come out to about 275, somewhere between 275, 280 miles. And it's rated at 270 combined for the all-wheel drive. And, and this is the limited. So this is the all-wheel mm-hmm. drive with the 20-inch wheels. Uh, so this is the bigger wheels. Um, if you get the um you know the sel or the se um trim levels with the 18 inch wheels which 18 inch wheels are plenty big enough yes um you know the all-wheel drive long range with 18 inch wheels um, is rated at 316 miles uh if you are doing predominantly um city driving you know driving around town even with the 20 inch wheels you can easily get, you know, I was getting over four miles per kilowatt hour uh, driving around town. So you will easily get over 300 miles of range um, around town. Um, and then the, the, uh, the long, the, with the extended range battery, the big battery, um, and rear wheel drive and 18-inch wheels, it's rated at 361 miles. Which is a lot. Which is like that, you know, that's these, significant. So these are these are very realistic numbers. You know, yeah. Hyundai, Kia, and Genesis. You know, their their range numbers that they put out there, unlike some other automakers, are very they're very realistic. You know what what they're saying. At least you know in you know in nice weather, those are the those are the range numbers you're going to be able to hit. Obviously, in winter time, it's not going to be quite as good. Right. Um, the other thing to keep in mind, you know, I got I was getting that kind of range, you know, upwards of 270 with air conditioning on because it was, it was warm out. Right. So I was, I was driving around with it, driving around with AC on. Uh, so that was, you know, that if you're, you know, if it's a little cooler out, 
uh, and you don't need to drive with the air conditioning on, you're going to get even more than that. Um, so this, this is, you know, a really lovely car. Um, now, not everybody's going to like the looks of this thing. I personally like it. You know, it, it's, I do. It's a, it's I a, think it looks it's a different neat. Look. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's kind of, I mean, it definitely, like you said, it has that very sloped uh, sort of, it looks very coupe-ish in the back. Like it really slopes down in the back, which is part of what eats into that, that trunk room. Um, but I like the styling. I And the little pixels they have everywhere, they sort of try to give it its own little character. And I appreciate that they made it look different. I think EVs are still at a point where they're not the norm. And I think it's nice to differentiate them from the rest of an automaker's lineup, not in some horrible in your face way, but just like, let's make this look like the sort of next step in the evolution of our brand that it really is for everybody in terms of powertrain and design, you know? So I think it's, I love how this looks. I think it looks great. And, you know, design is a very subjective thing. And the nice thing is with the Hyundai Motor Group, you know, across the three brands, Hyundai, Kia, and Genesis, they've now got a bunch of EVs that, you know, are all using the same core hardware underneath. Mm -hmm. So they're all equally good from that perspective, but they have very distinctive designs and looks to them. You know, you've got at Hyundai, you've got the Ionic 5 hatchback crossover-ish thing. <laughs> Whatever uh, you want to call it. <laughs> you know, I mean, they call it a crossover. It's a hatchback. Uh, you got the Ionic 6 midsize sedan. You got the EV6 hatchback, you know, sporty, you know, kind of, sh kind of a shooting brake kind of style. Um, the Ionic 9, three-row crossover. You got Genesis with the GV60 with a compact, more rounded crossover. The GV70 and the G80, you know, they all use the same basic hardware underneath. Mm -hmm. uh, and they're, they're all really good. And, you know, depending on what your price point is that you're looking for. And then, you know, there's also the new Kona that's coming uh, right. in the next couple of months, um, which you know, is a different look. Again, you know, a little bit smaller. It's going to be a, a still lower price point. So there's, there's a lot of good options just within the Hyundai Motor Group um, lineup. And, you know, these things charge crazy fast. I went to my EA station the other day when I came back from a, from a briefing at uh, an automaker for something that we're going to be able to talk about in a couple of weeks. Um, and, I, you know, I got there. There were already four other cars plugged in. You know, there's six chargers there. Yeah. There already four other cars plugged in. Uh, there was two VW ID4s, a Hummer, and a VinFast VF9. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, and then while I was charging, uh, you know, I was there for a grand total of 11 minutes. Yes. Arrived with 18% charge. And in 11 minutes, I was at 70% state of charge. See, it was, that's, it was that's cranking the, along at 240 kilowatts. That's the thing with the uh, the sort of Hyundai Motors group. They're, they charge fast. They charge really fast. You're in and out. As long out. as the chargers are working. As long and, as your chargers are working, char which you're going to run into recently. that no matter what car it is, unless it's a Tesla, you're probably going to run into like that giant question mark about whether it works or not. But when they do work, man, you can't beat how fast the Hyundai Motor Group stuff charges. Yeah. So, you know, they, they charge ridiculously fast. You can get good range. Now, the, the limited all-wheel drive that I drove is a little on the pricey side. How much is that? Um, it totaled out to $57,425. Ouch. Yeah. And this is, you know, this is loaded with all the goodies in it. Yeah. Um, frankly, you know, 
if if I was buying one right now, I would probably go you know more with the SEL trim, um, or maybe even the SE. Uh, you know, the SEL you know is still really well equipped uh, and has um, ha- you know has the the long range battery. Um, and let's see, it's uh, yeah, it comes to uh, forty seven thousand seven hundred dollars. That's ten thousand dollars less. Forty eight, yeah, forty eight eight, including yeah. delivery. Um, now, there is one other downside to Uh-oh. all of these cars, except yes. for the GV seventy EV right now, and that is all of them for the moment are still built in South Korea. Oh yeah, which so means you don't get your you don't your, get the tax uh, credit. Uh, yeah. But um, Hyundai, you know, for leasing, uh, if you're leasing one, they are passing through the the seventy five hundred dollar tax credit. So your best bet right now, if you wanted to get one of these, is probably to go with a lease, and you know you can get a get a pretty decent deal on a lease, um, and that's you know you're gonna you're gonna save quite a bit that doing it that way. Yeah. Uh, but you know. The the base SE starts at uh, like forty forty one thousand roughly forty one and change. Uh, that's with the standard range battery, um, and that one that that one will still get you two hundred and forty miles of range. Which I know it's still it's still hard to wrap your head around the whole range situation because gas vehicles do get such long ranges typically. But you know you think about it, you don't fill your gas tank every day. You you typically aren't going through all the gas in your car. You're filling it a couple, like once a week or something, or a little less than once a week, you know, like every five days or something. So even if this has less range, I think we all have to get our mind set to the fact that you don't need to fill up your gas tank every day, nor do you need to panic and re, you know, charge your EV every day. You don't go through that much range. You just don't do that. You can go, you can go a couple days in a typical, you know, EV and not have to plug it in. So there's, it's only road trips, which. You know, realistically, how often do we take road trips? You know, it's not every day. It's not every week. It's every now and then. And, and you know, these things charge so fast. You know, yeah. If you got 240 miles of range, you know, 240 miles, you know, two, let's say 200 miles, you know, that's two and a half to, you know, two and a half hours or so. Yeah. You're probably going to want to, you know, stop, get a drink of water. Right. You know, take a pit stop. You know, Stretch your legs, and, get out, do a couple jumping you know, jacks. Yeah, if you stop, <laughs> you know, you stop somewhere that's got you know a, a fast charging station. You, you, you know, with that two hundred forty mile range version, you're going to get that almost full in less than fifteen minutes. Right. So, in the amount of time it takes you to park, plug in, walk inside, you know, take a bio break, get yourself something to drink, and come back out, you're pretty much have done that. You yeah. know. Yeah, you know, get yourself a get yourself a nice cookie to put on the dashboard. A cookie, and yes, take a, a nice take cookie. Take a picture of it. Exactly. Yeah, um, you know, by the time you're all done with that, it's charged and you're on your way again. You're charged, and ready to go, and you've you had a cookie, so it's a good, it's yeah. good, it's all good. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> all right, um, let's uh, let's stick with Hyundai for a minute. Um, and this week there was uh, news of some updates to. Two Hyundai models. Um, yes. Hyundai, unlike some other uh, brands, uh, notably Ford and General Motors, um, has, has decided that there is still a place in the market for sedans. And uh, they still have a couple of very nice ones that are available in the U.S. market, the Elantra and the Sonata. Mm-hmm. And both of those are getting a refresh for the 2024 model year. Uh, 
um, the Elantra, uh, both of them you know, are getting kind of a, a they're, the, the, most of the body work, most of the sheet metal is staying the same, but the front and the rear end is changing pretty dramatically for both mm-hmm. of these. And it's quite a different look from what Hyundai's been doing on their cars for the last several years. What do you think of this, this new look? It's definitely, I mean, I think it's a big change and I think it's much, it's like they're going for like, it's more angular. It's, it's mm-hmm. this like angularity to it that, you know, it takes a little, you look at it first, like, oh goodness, what's happening there. But I think it's, it's interesting and in that it takes, you know, sedans are sort of, like you said, a lot of OEMs aren't even making sedans anymore. They're like getting away from them. If you're sticking with it, you got to still like bring them along for the ride to make them look modern and fresh and today, not five years ago. And I think that's what Hyundai is trying to do here. And I think they've done it. First, you look and you think, oh, that's that is that's kind of different. Then you, I feel like you stare at it for a few seconds. You think, you know what? That's actually kind of cool. I think it looks kind of good. What do you think looking at them? I, I like it. Um, yeah. You know, it's they've they're going with um they've got a a full width very slim light bar for the the running lights and then you know, and then a, a light bar that connects the two and, and connects in between the two um and then slim horizontal headlamps just below that and then you got a larger grill but it's it's all contained below the lighting area so it's it's not as tall but it's wider yeah um and I think it works. You know, it it it's not as it doesn't look as in your face. It looks more aggressive than before, but it's not. It doesn't feel as in your face as say you know giant BMW kidneys do. Yes. Um. So uh, you know, I I I am quite pleased with this. And then the Sonata also got um, an interior refresh as well. The the um, the Elantra is basically carryover. Uh, in the interior, but the Sonata right. got uh, an all-new dashboard as well, and so they've they've gone with kind of the same kind of look that they're doing on a lot of their other newer vehicles, where you've got the large curved glass tablet-style thing, you know, that stretches from um, from the the left side across the middle. So basically, the instrument cluster and the the infotainment touchscreen are all contained within one large horizontal slab of of glass that's curved uh, in front of you. That's really like how they're all all their sort of all the OEMs are sort of going to now. Remember mm-hmm. when they were first doing infotainment screens that were more than the tiny little five inch screens that were mounted in the dash, and it literally looked like they just took like an iPad and went until they yeah. sunk it on the dashboard. Like that's not attractive. It's like they're finally coming up with well, maybe this should just be one panel, like two screens, but one nice panel. You still get yeah, that nice clean look. I mean, this is pretty look. similar to what you find in most new BMWs. Yeah. Um, and a bunch of other cars uh, are, have this same kind of look to them. Um, so it's it's fine. I, you know, aside from my well-known reservations with touchscreens in <laughs> with general. With touchscreens, yes. Um, you know, it's, it's fine. You know, it's, it's a good implementation. And, you know, they still have a bunch of physical controls below that. Uh, for the climate control. So you've got some buttons and switches and a couple of knobs that, you know, quick twist for uh, for the um, uh, temperature, you know, if you want to adjust the temperature up or down a little bit. Uh, so it's, you know, you've got, you've got a, a nice combination of physical and um, virtual controls there. So I think it, it looks, it looks good. It's, it looks to me well implemented. Um, 
the one major mechanical change um, is that the 1.6 liter turbo is gone from the lineup. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if you like that engine, and I, I was a fan of that engine, uh, that's no longer available. So now you just have the naturally aspirated 2.5 liter four-cylinder, which is about, I think it's about 190 horsepower, the uh, 2.5 turbo, which is about 275, and the uh, two-liter hybrid. Um, and so that, you know, those are, those are your only options now, but you know, that's fine. You know, I, I, I like the way it looks. I, you know, I've liked the, I've liked this generation of Sonata quite a bit. And I think this is a nice update to it. And, and it adds all wheel drive now. That's a, yes. another big thing. The all addition of all wheel yeah. drive, which is the first time they've ever had that on the Sonata. So now you can take yeah. your Sonata in, up where we live, Sam. So in, Michigan and New Hampshire, you can drive the sedan without thinking there's at least a good four months where you're not going to want to drive it. <laughs> well, I mean, unless you put some good tires on good, it. Good winter tires but go e- for miles. Even even with all-wheel drive, a good set of winter tires makes always. things so much better. Yes, always. So much easier. Yes. Um, and then, you know, the, on the uh, the Elantra, um, you know, it's a little bit similar kind of theme, you know, with very slim horizontal lighting in the front. Um, but the, the grille execution is is a bit different um you know the the light the way the lights are done you know if you look at it from the from the profile you know they're actually kind of look like they're leaning forward it's got kind of a shark nose effect to it but then the the grill is sort of vertical and it's split in two parts between the upper and lower um and i think it's again you know i think it's a it's a nice effect that works well with the rest of the car which one do you like the better? Do you like the look of the new Elantra better or the look of the new Sonata better? Uh, I know. I think question. I would. I think I would probably go with the Elantra. Yeah, um, I like the Elantra better too. You know, I like I like the overall look. the The Elantra has got this, you know, kind of chiseled, prismatic look mm-hmm. to it um, that uh, they also did on the uh, on the Tucson. Um, and I think, you know, the combination of that with the way they've done the front, I think, is a good look. Um, and, it you know, it's – I like the size of the Elantra. Yeah. The, I, you know, the Sonata is a great car, too. Mm-hmm. For me personally, if I was buying one, you know, I – you know, since my kids are grown and gone and, you know, right. we don't, almost never have to carry anybody in the back seat. Not that the back seat of the Elantra is cramped or anything because I've sat in the back seat in lifts and Ubers. Um, but, um, you know, I would probably, I think the Elantra is big enough for, I feel like the Elantra is big enough for most people, unless you're someone who really all the time is expecting to use that, the back seat and need like, if, or if you're doing like really long trips, like road trips or something, you want just a little bit more room, but I feel like the Elantra is fine. It has a comfy back seat. I do like the look of it. There's something like you're saying that sort of angular kind of geometric feel and look to the, to the grill on this. It works really well. It makes it look kind of fun. So I, I don't dislike the the Sonata, but I I do like the Elantra better. Plus, you can get an Elantra N. There's no Sonata. Yeah. There's a Sonata N line, but not a Sonata N. Right, and so the N is is yeah. N line is nice. N is better. Yes, absolutely. You don't you can do you can do without the line and just have the N. Just have N. the N. Yeah, if you're gonna get one, get rid of one. Get rid of the N line and just keep the N. Like yeah, yeah give us all the N because those are fun. Absolutely. All right. Um, speaking of uh, fun, yes. um, the Alfa Romeo 33 Stradale was revealed this week. Um, 
this is there there first of all this is going to be the last internal combustion high performance car from Alfa Romeo. That makes me sad. And they're only making 33 of them. It's gorgeous. Um it's based on the Maserati MC20. So it's on the same platform as the MC20, but it's got a completely different look to it. This the design is very much um patterned it, it's like a modern interpretation of the tipo 33 uh stradali from uh that was built between 1967 and 69 and that one is even more rare than this they only built 18 <laughs> of those Jeez. um i'd so, be afraid to drive a car that was only like one of 33 or one of 18 yeah. i just uh, i'd and, be terrified and, and sadly most of these will probably have very few miles ever put on them. Yeah, you're uh, never going to see that, this. I'm guessing that of the 33, probably at, at a minimum 25, and probably 30 of them will probably end up put in storage by mm-hmm. some collector and mm-hmm. you know show up at a at an auction you know some years from now and sell for a stupid amount of money, a bazillion dollars. Um, and I don't think they're even saying how much they're charging for the. I'm I'm scanning the down that Stradale. right now, and I don't see it's it's that if you have to ask, you can't afford yeah, well, it. Price well, range, it, and it doesn't matter anyway because all thirty three are already sold. Right, so but they're already so they're Sam, already accounted it's for. Gorgeous, did yeah. you? Like, look at this. I'm trying to find out what they're calling this red because I know I wax poetic about the Miata, the Mazda, rather, reds that they do. This red is gorgeous. It's just um, the, the way the light plays off of it in these photographs. And they have they, some that are done in a sort of a darker studio setting and some that it looks like it's a brighter, like, daylight. Yeah. It doesn't oh say in the gosh. press release. It doesn't give the name of it that I can see, but... Oh, wow, is this beautiful. Yeah. See, if you are going to buy, see, I know I get it that you want to buy it. A, a collector wants to buy it and keep it pristine and put it in the garage and sell it in 15 years and make however much they're going to make on on having this limited edition, absolutely perfect Alfa Romeo that they've preserved. But I, it always makes me sad when a car that's so beautiful and so well designed and looks like it would be amazing to drive and no one's going to drive it. It's just going to sit there in a garage just sad. It's like the toy in the toy box that nobody plays with. It looks beautiful. It's like, take it out of the toy box. Play yeah. with it. Play with it. That, that was one of the things, you know, you, you know, Carl Brower as well. Yes. And yeah, you know, he had a Ford GT. He, he bought, mm-hmm. uh, what, 2019, I think he got his GT. Sounds about right. Um, 2018 or 19, he got his GT. And he recently sold it. He sold it this spring. But during the four years or so that he owned it, he put over 10,000 miles on that thing. Which is amazing because yeah. that's not a very long time to own it. And he, but he drove it. He yeah. experienced it. He, like, I don't know, just designing a car and, know, and having it, all the engineering and all the technical know-how that goes into making these beautiful, limited, high-end performance cars. And to think the person who buys it doesn't get to experience that. Use it. Go out there. Have some fun with it. I'm so glad that Carl did that. I want at least one person to go out there and drive this. Just drive it. <laughs> and I'm sure there will be somebody that will. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, sadly, most of them won't. Most of them, you'll mm. you'll see them on a on a concourse lawn somewhere, and that's probably yeah. about it. You're um, right. But um, uh, you can because you know this is based on the chassis of the Maserati MC20. Um, you can get it 
with the same powertrain that's in the MC20, which is a 621 horsepower twin turbo V6 that was purpose built for the purpose designed by Maserati. Um, and it comes with an eight speed dual clutch gearbox, rear wheel drive. Um, or if you prefer, you'll be able to get the uh, 33 Stradale with a battery electric powertrain. Uh, that they claim will have a range of about 450 kilometers, so about about 300 miles, uh, and bad. more than more than 750 horsepower. Horse, I can't imagine driving. Looking at this because it is such like a like a luxury limited sports car. I don't know that I'd, it would be super comfy for three. How would you just say 300 miles? I don't know if yeah. I'd want to ride 300 yeah. miles all at once in this. <laughs> I feel like it might not be the most ideal road tripper. <laughs> Depends where you live. Depends on the That's roads. True. That's true. Maybe in California yeah. you, it would you be. You probably would don't want to drive here. 300 miles on Michigan roads in this. Yeah. Thing. Nor would you want to drive 300 miles on New England roads. Most yeah. definitely not. <laughs> but I, I might have a, after next weekend, I might have a, a better, um, assessment of that because <sighs> I'll, I'll be driving something very special. Yeah, whatever. Um, Shush you with a special <laughs> car. I know what it is. Grumble, grumble, grumble. <laughs> but we'll talk about that in a couple of weeks. Yes. Um, so, yeah. So the, the, the Alfa Romeo 33 Stradale, as I said, this is the last new internal combustion vehicle that Alfa Romeo is going to launch. Mm. Um, and then after this, it's going to be all, everything's going to be electrified. Yeah. Um, so... <sighs> Deep sigh. Yep. <clears throat> All right. Um, sticking with electrification for a moment, mm-hmm. um, just one moment more before we get away from it entirely for the rest of the show. Um, Mercedes-Benz at CES this year announced that they were going to build their own network of DC fast charging stations. Um, and uh, they were gonna, they're going to build over 2,000 of them globally. Um, and I forget the total number of chargers that they're going to have. 2,000, it says. 2,000 installed worldwide by the end of next year. Right. But the the total oh. for the program is going to be 2,000 locations. And it's going to be somewhere between, I think, eight, I think around eight, 8,500 uh, chargers because there's multiple chargers at each location. Gotcha. But by the end of this year, they will have the first ones up and running um, in Atlanta, uh, and also in Europe and in China, I think, uh, was the other location. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, China, Europe, uh, Atlanta, which is where North, Mercedes-Benz North America is based, um, and, um, and then China and Germany uh, by the end of this year. By the end of next year, they'll have um, – the goal is to have 2,000 chargers running. So oh, that'll probably see, yeah. be at about – 600 stations or so. Yeah, it says 2,000 charging hub locations with over 10,000 chargers globally. And in this uh, in this picture that they provided, um, do you notice anything different about it? I'm looking it's, at it. What am I missing? It's, it's something that we've complained about for existing charging oh, stations. I just it took me a second. Oh my gosh! Yeah, it has a roof. There's a cover. Yeah. There's a oh. canopy. I, I'm like, there has this really funky <gasps> canopy, like my brain registered. And, and there's lights all in it. It's got all these little lights. Oh, my gosh. So when it rains or snows, you have a spot that's not rainy or snowy. Huzzah. Yeah. Go Mercedes. And, and they promise to install these at um, desirable locations. Uh, not, <laughs> not in the back corner of a parking lot at a Denny's in Mississippi or wherever. Oh, wouldn't that be nice to just have this someplace where you'd want to sit for a few minutes to yeah, charge so, your yeah, car? Yeah, so, you know, there will be things like, you know, 
restrooms and food and stuff, you know, at, at all of the locations for these what things. What a novel idea, and, a well-located charger. And, and this will not be proprietary to Mercedes-Benz EVs. Anybody will be able to use these. It's open, open to the world. Mm-hmm. Um, in, uh, in China, they'll have uh, the, GB, the GBT charging connector, which is the standard in China that everybody uses. Your, the ones in Europe will have CCS Type 2, and the ones in North America will start with CCS Type 1, uh, but they will add NACS connectors uh, at some point along the way because Mercedes is one of the brands that has announced that they are switching over to NACS. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, the, um, the total for North America uh, is at least 400 locations uh, with 2,500 chargers by the time they're finished installing all of them. That'd be nice. This yeah. would be my this would be my first choice now because roofs. I just don't want to. It's I'm so tired of standing in the rain. I feel like every or, time or I just shade, in, just shades. So you're not in the sun. Yeah, it is weird that they didn't. Do, I mean, I get that you know you don't have rain and snow in California, and that's where EVs became a thing first, right? Because mm-hmm. of all the incentives. But you guys have like boiling hot sun, like like that sears your face. It's like no, let's not give anybody shade. They're fine. Yeah. Who needs shade? <laughs> and and these will be 400 kilowatt chargers, which is mm. faster than any ve- any current vehicle on the market supports. But yeah. presumably they're doing this because perhaps Mercedes plans to have vehicles with, that support 400 kilowatt charging at some point. In but the, we cannot not comment on future. future product. Isn't that what Mercedes was saying? Cannot uh, comment that, on future product. I think that product? is the line for, from every automaker. And so, so they have not commented. They've commented without commenting. Yeah. <laughs> Or, you know, they're just hoping that somebody will build a Somebody's car that supports do 400 one. kilowatt charging at some point in time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so those are coming starting, this, you know, the, by the end of this year. And by the end of the next year, there will be a whole bunch of them nice. uh, globally. That makes me happy. Yeah. Um, and this is also uh, Mercedes. When Mercedes is part of the group that we talked about a few weeks ago, it's forming a joint venture uh, six different automakers to build 30,000 chargers in North America. Um, and um, this, uh, that is in addition to this. So uh, Mercedes is going to have 400 locations with 2,500 chargers in North America. And then those 30,000 are on top of that. So wow. the, the number of chargers is going to be growing pretty dramatically over the next several yeah. years. Which is good. It's I think it's good for... People looking to, I mean, because that's, that is the frustration here, right? It's not that, oh, I don't like driving an EV. Oh, it's challenging to figure out how it works or it's not, it's, it's, I can't charge the darn thing when I'm out and about. So the more chargers that we can get, the faster and the more likely people are to say, okay, I'll give this thing a shot. No. All right. So new stuff is coming. Other stuff is going away. Um, And um, Ram announced yesterday um, I think it was actually on the same day that they uh, that Stellantis announced the Alfa Romeo 33 yes. to Dolly. Um, <laughs> they also announced the end of the line for the Ram TRX. Um, it was so fun. I'm so yeah. sad. Well, not it's not it. I don't think it should be a surprise to anyone. I think you know Stellantis no. has indicated that production of Hellcat V8s is going to end this year. Mm. Um, so that's you know that's the end of the line for the Charger and Challenger. It's going to be the end of the run for the Durango um, SRT um, Hellcat and also now the the TRX. Um, But they are doing a couple of thousand uh, TRX final editions 
Um, so, you know, if you must have a um, silly, stupidly fast pickup truck, <laughs> off-road, you know, high-speed off-road pickup truck, um, you can get the uh, TRX. The, 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 <clears throat> let me uh, give the full name here. Yeah. The 202400 Ram 1500 TRX 6.2 liter supercharged V8 final edition. <laughs> That's a mouthful. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it'll be available in eight colors, um, including a couple, uh, I think three new unique, yeah, three new unique colors, Delmonico Red, Night Edge Blue, and Harvest Sunrise. Um, and I don't think they had any pictures of the They don't Harvest have pictures. Sunrise. I was like, I want to, they have a blue one in this Yeah, they image. have the blue and the Are red. They- so that yeah, I wonder what that orangey one. Oh, do they have the orange? No. Oh no, I guess that that is that's, all that's red, just, isn't it? Yeah, yeah it's, it's just, just the, the sky red. behind it. Yep. Um, so uh, those are those are coming. Um, production will end by the end of December, um, if not sooner, depending on what strikes happen. Oh, that's right. <laughs> Forgot about that. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see. Um, but um, yeah, so the this the final editions uh, you can order them now. Um, Probably not for very long. I suspect the order books will will fill up pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, and for for those that don't recall, the uh, the TRX has a 702 horsepower, 650 foot pound torque version of the uh, the Hellcat V8, has a top speed of 118 miles an hour. It's stupid in all the best ways. It's so stupid. It is. Yeah. It is completely bonkers. <laughs> But and it goes from zero to sixty in four and a half seconds. And the thing which, is, you got to just look you know, at this. It's this giant truck. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's no bigger than um, than a Hummer EV. And you know, frankly, it's kind of slow. You know, when you compare it to the Hummer, you know, the Hummer will go zero to sixty in three seconds. Yeah, but the Hummer weighs nine hundred and fifty billion pounds. It's like true. it's it's a tank. It practically leaves little dents in the highways and drives yeah. along from its own weight. Well, the, the TRX is no lightweight. <laughs> I know, know it's not exactly light, but still, I don't it's, think it's, it's as about, heavy I as I think it's about 6,500 pounds. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what yeah. should you get? If you could get the crazy, stupid Ram 1500 TX 6.2 liter supercharged V8 final edition or the Hummer, which would you get? You have to pick one. I can see out of the, uh, the, the Ram, so I'm going to go with yeah. that. That's fair. Okay. And, and, you know, it's got a bigger bed. You can load stuff in there. It's uh, practical. It, 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 it even comes with a spare tire. Ooh. See, so, it is more practical. It's yeah. the stupid, crazy, fun truck that's actually a little practical in there. Now, Just a you know, little bit. Granted, it gets about 10 miles per gallon. Details, details, Sam. <laughs> and it can be really annoying to your neighbors. Yeah, when if you fire it up that, too early that's in the a morning. pro or a con, depending on how you Depends feel about your neighbors. Exactly. How do you feel about your neighbors? <laughs> I kinda like my neighbors. I know? do too. I wouldn't want to know so. Sherry. She's really nice, so I, I'd have to say no. <laughs> yeah. Uh okay. The other one that I think I'm actually much more sad about yeah. is um no more manual transmissions in the golf GTI and golf R. Ugh. Come on, yeah. Volkswagen. Uh, so model year 2024 will be the last year for the manual transmission GTI and Golf R. Um, and uh, so VW is offering the Golf GTI 380 as a special equipment uh, package on the GTI. Uh, 380 apparently is the uh, internal code name, uh, code internal code for the current generation Golf. Um, there is, a, as far as I can tell, no limit on how many that they will build. It's however many orders they get. I don't see a number get. in here. Yeah, um, I don't see it either. The, uh, you know, the, the GTI 
uh, has 241 horsepower, 273 foot-pounds of torque. Um, and, um, yeah, it's you can currently buy it with a six-speed manual or a seven-speed DSG uh, gearbox. Um, after model year 2024, it's going to be DSG only, sadly. And it doesn't say, is there, I'm, I'm scanning through this, there's no reason just, they just decided no one's buying it? That has to be, that's just not. Um, I, I think. You know, I I would guess. You know, if if they shared the numbers, my guess is cars like the GTI typically have you know a pretty good take rate on manual they transmissions. Do. So why get rid of it? Um, probably for emissions reasons. You know. Oh, and, yeah, that and makes also sense. you know, I mean, they don't sell a huge number of GTIs anyway, right? Uh, and Golf R's. Um, so you know, it costs money to certify each one of them every year to you know, to okay. do the homologation. And given the volumes of those that they sell, you know, they probably figured it's just not worth it. Just for us. do the automatic and yeah. drop the. I'm sad because these the these manual transmission in these was just so much fun. Oh, it was fantastic! Like, ridiculously fun. It's one of those you know, sometimes you get these sporty little hot hatch things, and when you drive with a manual, it's they're almost harsh. They're hard, you know, the, the clutch is really hard, and and you know, shifting is not always easy. It, this is so easy. Like you could teach someone how to drive a manual transmission on this thing. Like so, some manuals are better than others. You could do it on these. They're so easy. I love when, these. When I was doing my, my driver training, I, you know, I did my driver's ed in a 1981 Honda Civic with a manual. Yeah. Did but you? I, I also spent time practicing in a friend's uh, first generation, a Mark one golf. Um, and, uh, yeah, with a with a five speed, or maybe it was a four speed. Might have even only been a four speed back then. It was. I, I had a ninety two Jetta that had a manual transmission. It was a five speed, and that's how I learned how to drive a manual because it was five hundred bucks less than the automatic, and I needed that five hundred dollars <laughs> in my broke just out of college pocket. So yeah. I learned how to drive on the car I drove off the lot. Excellent. <laughs> And it uh, never gave up. It made it like 11 years. Other parts of the car were like, we're done. But that transmission held on. <laughs> so the, the 2024 GTI 380 goes on sale this fall um, for with a starting price of 32485 for the S-Trim, 37285 for the SE, and 40625 for the Autobahn. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's going to be a sad day. Last Dang. of the manual GTIs. Manuals are going away. I get it. Progress, blah, whatever. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I mean, you know, if it's getting worse, is it really progress? It's more like regress. Regress. Yeah. Ugh, I'm sad. Yeah, me too. <sighs> All right. We have one listener email to answer. Um, yes. It's from Mark Shakespeare. Um, and he says, uh, thanks for the great show and honest car commentary, especially Sam, who recently dared the <laughs> wrath of Elon for Sainthood Crowd in op- episode 313. Uh, well, that's hardly the first time that I've uh, incurred their wrath. I mean, the fact that you survived it this long, I feel like you're a pretty hardy guy there. You've not yet yeah. succumbed to I mean, that. Only, so good for you, Sam. It, you know, since what, 2007? Yeah, right. So I feel like you're fine. You yeah. got this at this point. Yeah. Anyway, Mark <laughs> says, I've been in the U.S. for over 20 years, and usually my daily is an automatic of some kind, but occasionally I've owned a manual fun weekend car. Recently, in one of my many later <laughs> midlife crises, <laughs> I have decided to have a manual car as a daily drive. 
a last hurrah before I'm mandated to own a fully self-driving <laughs> EV. I love going down the gears as I slow down in my new daily manual, but I realize this means I'm, I am not signaling my braking by pressing on the middle pedal. Should I curtail my downshifting fun and just use the brakes in order to reduce the chances of a rear collision? How is this handled by aggressive regenerative braking on EVs? Uh, and follow up, when standing still in a manual on a, flat, on a flat road, in theory, you can lift off the brake pedal. Again, I'm thinking that the driver behind may think that I'm moving forward, so tend to leave my foot on the brake pedal. Am I overthinking the situation? Well, and that last piece, I always, when I'm in a manual and I'm stopped, I always do keep my foot on the brake, even if I'm just flat and don't need to. Mm. I just... I just do out of a, I don't know, caution sake or something. It's, it's a good idea because even if a road seems flat, could, you can never be entirely sure. It could, you could get a little bit of rollback or roll right. forward. So it's a good idea to, to keep your foot on the brake pedal anyway. Yeah. When you're, plus, um, the other thing you probably, you know, if you're, you know, if you come up to a red light, unless you know it's about to turn green, you know, fairly quickly, um, it's a good, you don't really want to keep your foot on the clutch anyway. You know, yeah. you want to pop it into neutral. Yeah. Uh, in which case, again, you want to keep your foot on the brake pedal. Um, so just, you know, because it's, it's not great for the clutch to be holding it down like that. Right. It, you right. might get some slip and you might get some extra wear on the clutch. Um, as to the, the first part um, with the brake lights, um, if you are doing proper heel and toe downshifting, your brake lights will be on because your toes will be on the um, on the um, brake pedal anyway while you're downshifting. Right. So, you know, you've got that. Um, and uh, then um, as far for regenerative braking on EVs, they are actually programmed, you know, when the regen D cell gets above about 0 0.05 Gs, which is, you know, kind of, you know, with a, what you would get with just a very light brake application, um, the brake lights will come on. Uh, so they're, they're all programmed to, to turn on the brake lights, even if you don't have your foot on the brake pedal. So, you know, if you're using one pedal driving, uh, that sort of thing, the brake lights will come on when you're decelerating. So yes, you don't need you to brake. It's going to, yeah, the Regen is going to, is going to yeah. do its thing as if you were hitting a traditional brake pedal. Yep. Yeah. Um, any other thoughts on this one? No, I think you covered it. All right. Um, well, before we go, um, I have uh, an interview that I posted on the uh, Patreon feed a couple of weeks ago that I did with Ali Jamul, who's the uh, uh, director of vehicle programs uh, for Ford Performance um, and uh, Icon Vehicles at Ford. Um, and we talked about the uh, the Mustang GTD. Uh, so patrons have, have had this, they've already heard this interview a couple of weeks ago, uh, but putting it in the in the main show here and if you are a patron um you know you can just skip out here at this point because uh, you've already heard this or you may have heard it if you haven't you can stick around and listen to it and um, i want to give a quick shout out to somebody so one of our listeners jeff d on our discord jeff d yeah. sent me a message he went on to uh, my website nicolewakeland.com and he reached out to me about something he was giving me some tips about some people he's like so he was nice so i just want to say shout out thanks jeff that made my day this morning so just a shout out that's it <laughs> and and thanks to uh to everybody that listens and supports the show either by listening to the ads or uh or supporting us directly through the uh through the through patreon uh yep. we, we appreciate your support and we you know, do. hope you'll keep listening um and again if you got any questions 
send them to feedback at wheelbearings.media. Um, or um, you, you can also send us a recording of a question or comment, and we will include that in the show. Um, and you yeah. can pester all of us on social media. I'm on social yeah. media all the time. So if you don't feel like we're paying attention, pester me there and I will yeah, see we've, it. Yeah, we've got the Discord. You can join the Discord <laughs> if you're not already in there. There's yep. some good conversations that go on in there. Um, or uh, you know, hit us up on Threads or Blue Sky or Mastodon. Um, I don't do the, the former uh, bird site anymore, but I think you're X. still on there. I'm on X. <laughs> I'm, like, you can't see it. I'm holding up my fingers. I'm like, X. Yeah, I am still there. So, yeah, you can find me over there if you guys are there. All right. And uh, we will talk to you next week. Bye. Bye. All right. So, you guys unveiled the Mustang GTD, um, which is, up to this point at least, the most extreme road-going version of the Mustang, um, derived from some part from the GT3 race car. So, why do this? What What is the rationale for this car? Well, first of all, Mustang GTD is the most audacious advanced car ever built by Ford. Most uh, capable Mustang uh, that we've ever done. Uh, this is this represents the tra- transformation of Ford Motor Company. This is what we want people to feel like when they come every day to work. How do we push the boundaries? How do we find that bubble? How do we succeed and how do we win? How do we continue to win? That's what this car represents. It's interesting that you say that this represents transformation of Ford, um, you know, especially at a time when Ford is also doing a transformation to electric vehicles and making a huge investment in electrification. Um, seems like yeah, this is, is this is this does this vehicle represent the culmination of internal combustion at Ford, the ultimate of, of what you're ever going to do in this area? Well, this is again, this is this is how people uh, are at Ford Motor Company as we challenge all ourselves to push the boundaries. That goes for everything. It goes for electrification. It goes for racing. It goes for everything we do every day even connected services it goes for everything we do every day and that's what this car represents okay so i remember um this is probably about five or six years ago now i was at the uh, sa world congress might have been longer than that at the uh, sa foundation dinner larry holt was speaking he was doing a presentation on the gt on the development of the gt Uh, and in the course of that presentation he talked about the process that the Multimatic and Ford teams went through getting to what became the GT. Uh, you know, part of what they wanted to do was go back to Le Mans for the 50th anniversary of the first victory there. And he talked about you know, that they looked at doing the Mustang as a GTE car. And you know, they decided that it would not be competitive enough uh, because of the shape of the car, the size of the car, in the GTE class. And they then went from the, the GTE rulebook, figured out how can we make the best possible GTE car, and then made a road car of that and a GTE car. If in an alternate timeline, an alternate universe, if they had gone down the Mustang path in 2015, 2014, 15, is the GTD 
that we see today kind of what might have been if they had not done a new GT back then? Uh, I, 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 frankly, I cannot comment on that. I was not there, so I, I, I can't comment on what Larry uh, said or, and or what happened at, at that point. Well, I guess, you know, since, since you are going back to Le Mans next year, uh, assuming FIA, you know, grants you an entry, um, is, you know, it, it seems like, you know, this, the GT3 and now the road going GTD, you know, might, it seems like that might have been the case, but at any rate, let's move on. So, in creating the GTD, um, how much of what we see in the GTD is shared with the GT3? Uh, well, so the GTD was designed to be the most advanced, uh, most audacious, uh, the, the vehicle that's gonna go around the track with lap times that are Fastest, uh, Nurburgring, you know, less than seven minutes. Uh, we learned a lot from GT3 as we developed the two cars simultaneously together. We learned a lot from racing. We applied many of the lessons from GT3 uh, into GTD. Uh, a lot of the aerodynamics, the lessons learned from aerodynamics, the attributes went into the design of the GTD. Yet, uh, GT3 uh, uh, has certain rules that the, that series has certain rules that you're not allowed to do, including uh, power, uh, including active aerodynamics that we took advantage of and applied the best technologies in GTD to deliver that laser-focused uh, target of sub-seven minutes on Nürburgring lap time. Uh, from active aero wing to uh, uh, supercharged 5.2 liter uh, engine that is delivering 800 plus horsepower to a transaxle that delivers the 50-50 uh, weight distribution for the best track time uh, around the track. Uh, so, uh, for example, the, the suspension, you know, not, not a whole lot of detail has been revealed about the GT3 car yet, technical detail, but is the, the short long arm suspension on the front and the uh, multi-link pushrod suspension in the rear, is that common? In ter- at least architecturally, maybe not the exact same parts, but architecturally, is that the same layout you have on the race car? Uh, no, they are not. Uh, what we took advantage of, again, uh, because they're not allowed to do that with the GT3 racing series, uh, the active uh, spool valve technology suspension from Multimatic that is that has the ability to do two right heights, two different rates, uh, two different springs, and adjust uh, right heights that you're not allowed in uh, right. GT3. But, but with, within so, within the, you know, if you take take away the the semi-active components, I'm just wondering, you know, is it the same type of layout in, in terms of how the, the, the links and the, the arms and everything are set up on the race car, or is it a completely different configuration on the race car from what we've seen on the GTD? With the transaxle technology that was driven by the fastest lap times around the track and the best aerodynamics you can achieve to deliver that kind of speed, we 
took advantage of that to design a rear suspension that works well with that and that packages well with that and delivers all of the race, uh, track performance, as well as road performance. With the uh, and that was essentially derived uh, from that those targets. Okay. Um, the the powertrain. Um, yeah, you started from the, the the Predator V8, supercharged Predator V8 that's in the G in the Generation Six GT500, 760 horsepower. You know, over 800 horsepower. Um, in addition to the um, the dry sump uh, lubrication system, what other types of changes have been done to get that increased power? So again, the the the, the target was to deliver the uh, sub seven minute Nurburgring uh, lap time. Uh, that uh, drove the right with the combination of the right aerodynamics drove the uh, uh, 5.2 liter supercharged engine that helps us with delivering the power needed to deliver that lap time. We took that 5.2 liter, we improved on it, uh, we uh, added obviously the dry uh, sump uh, uh, system, oiling system with the uh, uh, oil uh, uh, pumps that uh, will you know, always uh, lubricate the engine under lateral forces, uh, lateral accelerations. But also worked on an, uh, added a supercharger pulley, changed the supercharger pulley, uh, as well as added dual air inlets, uh, air intakes, and that's, that all helped us with delivering the most power possible. Is it still a single throttle body or dual throttle body like on the 5 liter uh, GT? I'm not sure about that. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a single. We've got a, okay. a single uh, air intake system. Okay. So okay. Um, and then the uh, the bodywork. Um, yeah, we got carbon fiber bodywork. Obviously, visually it looks a lot like the GT3 car. Are any of the the body panels common with the race car, or is it? Uh, I think the I was looking at it. The uh, the front fenders, for example, you can see that the the vents uh, that relieve the the air pressure in the front wheel wells are similar but not quite the same, but are there any other body panels that are common between the race car and the, the GTD? Well, Mustang GTD was designed to deliver the best aerodynamics, and that went into, uh, we, we spent time on every line on the car from the front all the way to the rear, including the vents in the fender, the vents in the hood, the active aero uh, wing in the rear, and that combination drove the, the, the lines and the shapes of the body. Do, are they shared with GT3? In concept, yes, but they are different parts and different uh, surfaces to deliver that best aerodynamics possible. Okay. Um, and you, know, you talked about uh, active arrow. One of the, the interesting things is the way you've implemented that the rear wing uh, you know, different from what was done on the on the GT on the last generation GT, which also had active aero, uh, but you had that little spoiler that could come up and change the angle. Um, what you've got now is more akin to uh, the DRS system on a on a contemporary Formula One car. Uh, is that what in- inspired you there? Is, is essentially the DRS, the drag reduction systems that they use on F1 cars today. 
I cannot comment about F-1 cars. What inspired us to uh, on the active aero wing was delivering the highest, the best aerodynamics on, on the car to deliver that lap time. And that drove the active aero system uh, uh, where you have two different elements, uh, carbon fiber, one is fixed and one is movable. And with the uh, movable element, you can optimize uh, lap time on the track for uh, reduced drag as well as the max downforce to keep the car planted and get around corners and get through the uh, different tra sections of the track in the fastest possible uh, time. Can you talk at all about roughly how much downforce the, the GTD generates? Uh, we, we will share more information closer to launch. Okay. Uh, looking forward to all this additional information that you, you don't want to talk about just yet. Uh, I guess, are, are there any other major things that you want people to think about when they think about the, the Mustang GTD? Uh, you know, I think I asked earlier during the Q&A, you know, is this, is this the, the, the culmination of the internal combustion Mustang or is there, is there still more to come? We love to win, and that's what Mustang GTD is all about. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, will, will we see a GTD R track only version, you know, akin to, you know, the, the GT Mark II or the Mark IV? You never know. Just, just stay tuned. Okay. <laughs> all right. Well, <laughs> thank you very much for your time. Appreciate it. Thanks, Sam. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.